If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we just finished a four-week series on the Holy Spirit called Empowered. Four weeks, we walked through looking at who the Holy Spirit is. (coughs) Excuse me. We spoke about him as a person, that he's not just an entity, that he's a person. He's part of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is God, 100% God, but he is the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't refer to him as an it, we refer to him as a he. He wants to encourage us. He's our advocate, he's our counselor. Jesus said if he left, that was a good thing because he would send the advocate, and the advocate then doesn't just live amongst us, he dwells where? In us. This is a big deal. We talked about the person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit. We talked about his empowerment so that we can become more like Jesus. Why does he empower us? Why does he baptize us in the spirit? He baptizes us so we can become more like Jesus. That is the evidence of fruit. That is more like Jesus and the gifts. And Andy talked about the gifts last week, that the gifts are intended to strengthen us so that we can fulfill the purpose and the mission of the church. This week, we are taking a pause before our next series. And I think it's very timely for us to talk about the Holy Spirit over the last couple of weeks, because what I'm going to talk about this morning does not make any sense to us. And we cannot navigate and move forward in a healthy way if we do not understand that the Spirit of God lives in us to counsel us, to encourage us, to give us courage so that we can move forward and be who he's called us to be. In fact, we cannot walk through what we're going to talk about today if the Spirit of God is not present in our lives. So if this Holy Spirit to you is some faraway thing that you don't have any understanding of, I want to encourage you to rethink that and, and draw, let him draw close to you, to fill yourself with him, to fill yourself with what he wants to do in you so that he can be your, your, your um, counselor and your advocate. Because as we walk through today and we talk about what's happening around us today and how it applies to us, we need the power of the Spirit in us to be able to walk through this. This morning's message is entitled, Are We Living in the Last Days? I thought about what we should be talking about, and I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And over the last number of weeks, it's solidified that this is a topic that many people have been talking about, many people have wondered about. And over the last number of weeks, the current events that have been happening have shown that it really is appropriate for us to talk about this morning. So if you have been paying attention to the world around us. The current events have been showing us that there are tensions rising in the Middle East right now. If you're familiar with that, you know that all eyes have been on the nation of Israel right now, and the world is responding to what's happening there. So if you don't know what's been happening or don't know the details, here's a very quick summary of what's been happening right now. October 7th, 2023, just a few weeks ago, there was an organization named Hamas. Hamas is a terrorist organization Okay, that is a Palestinian terrorist organization that is funded by Iran, and they govern the region called the Gaza Strip. The Gaza Strip is a part of the nation of Israel, and it's carved out in the southwestern corridor of Israel. It's a very small piece of property, but it is run, it it has been given, years ago it was given to the Palestinians to live as a part of what their land should be. It is run and governed by a terrorist organization called Hamas. On October 7th, 2023, Hamas, Hamas decided to invade the nation of Israel. They targeted civilians, 
They didn't target soldiers. They targeted elderly people. They targeted women. They targeted children and infants. These people were brutally murdered. They were raped in some cases. They were confirmed reports of videos of babies being beheaded. Not one, not two, over 40 babies were beheaded as they came in and they invaded the southern region of Israel. They also took over 200 Israelis back to Gaza and have been holding them hostage. Now, since October 7th, Israel has been responding with air raids and more recently, ground raids. This has been happening. And if you've been watching the news, you've seen this happen over and over again. The body count continues to grow across both areas. There are over 1,400 people that lost their lives because of this attack in southern Israel. And now there are thousands more in the region of Gaza that have lost their lives, a combination of civilians and Hamas. People have been losing their lives. Now, the conflict is escalating, and Israel has confirmed that it's preparing a full ground invasion of Gaza. Now, if you're wondering why they're going to do that, let me just make it really clear. The foundational premise of the people of Hamas, if you look at their 1988 um, uh, constitution, is to destroy the nation of Israel. It's not to coexist with the nation of Israel. It's to destroy the existence of Israel. Like I said, it is funded by Iran. They give them over $100 million a year, and Iran has explicitly stated over the, over the years that they want to see the utter destruction of the nation of Israel. So we're not talking about a neighbor that just wants to coexist. We're talking about a neighbor that if Israel chose not to fight anymore, they would come in and there would be a bloodbath and they would annihilate the entire nation of Israel. Does that make sense? This is important for us to understand. So Israel has confirmed that they are preparing a full ground invasion. And if you're wondering what the goal is, you don't need to look any further than the prime minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, because this is what he said recently about their goal. He said this, listen, he said, we have two goals for this war. Number one, to eliminate Hamas by destroying its military and governing bodies. And two, to do everything possible to bring our captives home. That is their goal. Those are their goals to destroy the governing and the, um, to destroy the military and the governing bodies and to do everything possible to bring their captives home. And then he said this, all Hamas terrorists are dead men walking above ground, below ground, outside Gaza. Can you be more specific and more direct about what their intentions are? They are going to go in. And if we understand what they're saying, they're going to go in and they're going to remove this governing body from the people of Palestine in the Gaza Strip so that this area is no longer a threat to their own nation. Now, the response to this in our country and around the world has been divided. As the people are in the Middle East right now, they are also divided. Some support Israel, others support Palestine. Supporters and protesters have been mobilizing all over the world, calling for the support of Israel, while others are protesting and they support the Palestinians and they are calling for the destruction of Israel. This is not just happening in the world around us. It's happening in our own country. All you need to do is look it up and you can see protest after protest where tens of thousands of people in different countries have been meeting and gathering, protesting Israel or, or supporting Israel. It is a mess and the division is obvious. Now, within the Christian church, there have been countless messages and posts, social media, Christian messages or posts, uh, videos, all kinds of messages people have been writing and commenting that are trying to make sense of all this and how it fits within the construct of our end times biblical prophecy, which ultimately points to the return of Jesus. People are continuing to ask this question that I have written up on the slides. 
Are we living, are we living in the last days? Now, I'm going to answer that question for you this morning. And it's not because I know anything more than anyone else does. It's because I was here last Sunday and I listened to Andy Lippos speak. (laughs) Are we living in the last days? The short answer, yes, we are living in the last days. But as Andy said last week, we entered the last days when the Holy Spirit filled the believers in the upper room in Jerusalem over almost 2,000 years ago. That's when we began the last days. If you remember in Acts 2, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, there, were, there was a sound of rushing wind, tongues of fire deposited on them. They began speaking in other tongues and other known tongues from people all over the world were there in Jerusalem listening to this prophetic utterance of the goodness and the power of God. And they thought they were drunk. And then Peter stood up and he said, no, no, no. He goes, we're not drunk if you think we're drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning. Even we have some self-discipline. I added that part. Look what he says in Acts. He quoted Joel chapter two and he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. What is Jesus saying through this? God's saying through his messenger, God's spirit will be given to all who choose to follow him with no discretion or no representation of ethnicity, no consideration of race, color, creed. Everyone who chooses to understand and believe can receive the spirit that I will pour out. Verse 19, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus says something in just a few verses through Peter that captures thousands of years of history or what will begin to happen. Because in the last days, in that moment, they began living in the last days. The Spirit of God, as Jesus died, he rose again and he ascended to heaven. He sent the Spirit of God. And when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, when they were baptized in the Holy Spirit, it began what Joel quoted hundreds of years before. In the last days, I will begin to pour out my Spirit on all flesh. So technically, the question that we are asking about living in the last days is yes, we live in the last days. We are, if you will, Acts, the, the, the church of Acts. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. There's an organization that was founded years ago that plants churches, and it's called the Acts 29 Network. Well, there's not 29 chapters in the book of Acts. Why? Because we are the 29th chapter. God is not done using his church. The book of Acts that we've read is, a, is the beginning and we're their continuation. When we get to the 28th chapter, it's as if God has handed the baton to the church today and said, create the 29th chapter. Be the church. Love people. Preach the gospel. Live the way you're supposed to live. Be the truth because he is going to come back, church. Do you believe that? He's going to return and he's going to come back. So the, the, the question, are we living in the last days? Yes, that is absolutely unequivocally yes, because it began almost 2,000 years ago. But really, I think what people have been asking as we look at the events around us are, are we close to the time when Jesus Christ is going to return? How close are we to the time when Jesus is going to return? This is a valid question. And I've asked this since I was a little boy. 
And I've heard people look at the current events around us and continue to draw connections about whether or not we are close. Now, you don't need to be a prophet to know that we're closer now than we've ever been because that's just the way time works. But the question is, how close could we possibly be? Well, no one exactly knows. But this question is a valid question and it tends to come up every time there is increased conflict involving Israel, the Middle East, and the Palestinians. People start to talk about it more. So today, I'm going to do what I can to help you see the big picture of what's happening right now. Because here's what I believe happens. Many times people that are not looking at this through the lens of God's spirit only look at it from the physical. And they try to solve a problem physically that was never intended to be solved by physical means. So we need to take a step and look back at the big picture of what's happening right now in that area of the, of the world. Because by only looking at what's happening in the moment, we're going to lose perspective. And we can risk responding incorrectly. So by looking at the big picture, we're going to gain a better understanding today of how these current events fit into the larger story that the Bible is revealing to us. And when we understand how they fit into the larger picture that God's revealing to us, it should influence the way we live as followers of Jesus. Make sense? So I'm going to ask if you would do something with me this morning, because I will be honest, trying to put this together And there's so much we could tap into and so much we could talk about and to do it in a time frame that's going to be palatable so you all can hear, you can process, and you can respond has been a very heavy weight over this last week to try to put together. So if I could ask you, please, to take a moment with me and just bow your heads and we're going to pray that what God has brought to Bridge Community Church this morning would be fruitful, would be planted in your hearts And we would be able to move forward being the church that he's created us to be. So let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we just come before you this morning. And I thank you for who you are. I thank you for your power. I thank you for your love. I thank you for reminding us every day of the week. Every moment if we choose to. That we don't need to walk in fear or anxiety. We don't need to walk in... We don't need to walk in any way that gives reproach to the name of Christ. We can walk in confidence. We can walk in our strength because our strength is rooted in you. God, I just ask that your Holy Spirit, who already lives in us, who lives in so many of us here as we're followers of Jesus, would speak truth to our hearts today. That your word would be spoken, that we would honor you, we would honor the people of God, and we would honor this world as you've called us to live it live in it. Holy Spirit, fill this room. Fill our hearts. May my words be your words. As I try to speak them this morning, would you give me strength? And would you make our ears receptive to the truth that you have for us today to hear? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in, the, in my effort to try to answer this question, how close we are to the return of Christ, I want to share a couple of points this morning that I think will help us as we try to make sense of all the stuff that's happening around us. Okay, the first thing I want to share this morning is simply this. The conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians is a spiritual conflict, and it's nothing new. The conflict that exists in the Middle East right now between the Israelis and the Palestinians is a spiritual conflict, or I say here in the notes, it's spiritual. It's not physical. And it's nothing new. Now, of course, we see evidence in the physical. 
They've been bombing each other for as long as I can remember. I was born in 1972. Israel became a nation in 1948. And there's been wars since that time continuing up to the present. And they've been bombing each other. And the technology gets better. And the technology gets stronger. And they've continued to have, if you go back in the news, you see over and over again, instance after instance, where there's been a physical conflict and a war. I'm not saying there isn't a physical issue going on. I'm saying the root of that is not a physical problem. It's a spiritual problem. Ephesians 6.12 reminds us, again, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in this world, but we wrestle against rulers and principalities, Paul says. So what we see happening in the seen world is an indication of what's happening in the unseen world. What we're seeing over there with our physical eyes is a representation of what is happening in the spiritual world around us. This is really important for us to understand. And for us to really understand what this means and how and why I'm saying that, we need to back the clock up quite a bit. So I'm going to take you back in a time machine this morning, just for a few minutes, and we're going to go back 4,000 years, okay? This is before cell phones. This is before vehicles, okay? This is before ice cream and refrigeration, okay? I mean, this is legit. We're going back 4,000 years. I can tell you, that's where I just lost it when I thought about it, 4,000 years ago. But I'm being serious here. 4,000 years ago, and we're going to go back to a space in the, God, in the book of Genesis chapter 12, and I'm going to read something for you. In the book of Genesis chapter 12, the Bible introduces us to a man named Abram. Some of you maybe have heard him a different name. His name was later changed to Abraham. Abram was a man, and the Bible shows us that he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God to fulfill a purpose much greater than himself. Now, we don't really understand why God chose him. The scriptures don't really say. We just know that he chose him and he said to him that something was going to happen in Abram's life that God was going to make happen. What we know is that he was a man God chose and God pursued him. He instructed Abram after he chose him to leave his parents, to leave his homeland, to take his family and go to a land that God said he would show him. That is in Genesis chapter 12. And in the process of obeying God, God revealed to Abram what he was going to do through him. This is Genesis 12, verses two and three. Look at this with me. He says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Pretty big plan, right? There was a problem. Abram and his wife Sarai, or Sarah, as we now know her, had no children. They were, they were just two people married together with no family. How do you create a nation when there are no children, when there are no descendants, no siblings? God is making a promise to them, and he's saying, this is going to happen. You're not just going to be a nation. You're going to be a great nation. I'm going to bless you. Anyone who blesses you will be blessed. Anyone who curses you will be cursed. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Pretty powerful promise. So time passes, and they grow older. The years pass, and they still have no no children. They're barren. Sarah's barren. So Sarah devises an idea. She comes up with a plan to say, well, I can't have kids anymore. Maybe God wants this to happen a different way. So she brings her servant into the picture. Her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian. And she's Sarah's servant. And she proposes to Abram that he marry Hagar as well and have a child with Hagar. Because maybe that's the way God wants to do this. 
That wasn't a good idea. Abram agrees. Hagar becomes pregnant and his son is born. And they name this son Ishmael. He becomes the first son of Abram. Now here are the problems that ensued from this great idea. Number one, the tensions between the wives began to grow immediately after Hagar realized she was pregnant. The Bible says that when she recognized and knew she was pregnant, she immediately, the Bible says, began to despise Sarah. She was her slave, but she despised her master because she was able to be pregnant and give birth to a baby or will give birth to a baby when her master, Sarah, was unable to bear children. And during that time, especially being barren or unable to bear children was an incredible, it felt like a curse. So she despised Sarah and she began to treat Sarah poorly. In return, Sarah begins to treat Hagar poorly and things begin to escalate. Hagar was her slave. So Abram said to Sarah to do with her however she pleased. You love that? I mean, just he kind of like absolved himself of responsibility. You were involved in this dude. And now there's a problem going on and you go, you handle it. Whatever you want to do, you handle it. So There's a problem that happens there. And the second problem after the tension is that Ishmael was never God's chosen son to fulfill the promise that God gave Abram. They tried to make something happen outside of God's will. So let's fast forward a little bit. God tells Abraham and Sarah years later that Ishmael is not the son that he intended for them to have. And the nation he's going to create through Abraham does not come through Ishmael. Instead, he tells him, that Sarah will still get pregnant. She will still have a baby and they will have a son together. Time passes 24 years later, 99 years old. Sarah becomes pregnant. Abraham is is 99 years old. And at a hundred years old, Sarah gives birth to a little boy and they name him Isaac. Now Abraham has two sons. They're 14 years apart, according to the scriptures and their mothers can't stand each other. See where this is going? You have a 14-year-old son, you have a baby. When he becomes about 16 years old, Ishmael continues, the scripture says, to give problems and becomes problematic and is despising his younger brother. He's a 16-year-old boy giving problems and despising his two-year-old brother. Why? Because moms are at odds with each other. There's a tension that's been going on all of these years. They cannot continue to work together. So a decision is made. Sarah tells her to leave. And Hagar is kicked out of the family with her son, Ishmael. They go separate ways. Now, let me back up and say this. While Hagar was pregnant with Ishmael and she was being tormented by Sarah, the Lord visited her and the Lord told her, no, you're going to have a son. His name will be Ishmael and he will be like a wild donkey of a man. That's what the scriptures say. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand will be against him. It says he will live in hostility towards all his brothers, but his descendants will be too numerous to count. That's the promise that God gave Hagar, even though she's being kicked out. 14 years later, she gets kicked out and she leaves and she's on her own. This son is now a young man, a teenager. This is really important. And here's why. Because if you look at, remember I said this problem is not physical, it's spiritual. If you look at the nation of Israel today versus the nation of Palestine, the Israelis or the Jewish people believe that Abraham is their ultimate father and they are descendant from the line of Isaac. That's what Israel believes. The Palestinians, the Arabs, 
They believe that Abraham is also their father, but their descendant is from the line of Ishmael. This is where these two people groups came from, folks. That's why this is not just a physical problem. It is a spiritual problem. And I'm going to explain this a little bit more. If we fast forward a little bit, I just want to mention also today, 93% of Arabs are Muslim. So think about this. This is so significant because the Bible shows us Isaac was God's choice to build a nation that would become great. That Isaac's people, the nation soon to be the nation of Israel, would inherit the land that God brought them to and he would bless all the nations through them. And we see how that unfolds through the nation of Israel being founded, the nation of Israel moving into the promised land, Jesus ultimately coming through the line of David that comes through Joseph. He is Jewish. He is part of the nation of Israel through the nation of Israel, the Messiah is born, the Messiah suffers, he's resurrected, he ascends, all peoples in the world can come to know the saving love of Jesus, of the Father God by putting their faith in Jesus Christ who came out of the nation of Israel. See how that works? Just make sure we're all in the same pack, the same place. This is really important. All nations will be blessed through him because he is the Messiah. The Bible also shows us that when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son, Isaac, some of you know this story. As a young man, Isaac went with his father and he carried the wood of the sacrifice on his back. Isaac would kill him or choose to kill him if God asked him to. And before he could kill his son, an angel of the Lord stopped him and said, now I know this was a test, but I know that you would not even withhold your own son from me. And there was a ram in the thicket. He took the ram. He sacrificed that ram. And instead of him having to sacrifice his own son, he sacrificed a ram in that space, foreshadowing the fact that one day God's own son, Jesus Christ, would carry his cross on his back and walk up a hill and lay his lands out and be sacrificed as a lamb of God so that we could receive forgiveness from the heavenly father. Isn't that amazing? Like, just make sure you understand how all these pieces work really together. It's really, really good. Okay, God is so intentional. People say the Bible doesn't make any sense. It is so clear as you look at this. It's amazing. Even though it was written by 40 different authors over 1,500 years in three different languages. But that's another message for another time. Okay, fast forward. There's been a dispute now over this land throughout all of Old Testament history. If you go in the Old Testament and you begin to look, what you see over and over again is Israel is at odds with its enemies. They're trying to attack Israel. Israel attacks them. This goes back and forth, back and forth. You see examples of this where Israel comes as a unified front and they fight their enemies. You see at some point, fast forward, after the three major kings, Saul, David, and Solomon actually rule the full nation of Israel, that the kingdom splits in half, basically. doesn't really half, but 10, 10 tribes go to the north and two stay in the south. You see all of these things begin to happen. You see Assyria come in and destroy the northern Israel. Um, and then you see Babylon come in years later and destroy the southern kingdom. All these things are happening and the nations all around them. The nations all around them are descendants of Ishmael. Fast forward from the promise that God made Abraham to 2,600 years. Fast forward 2,600 years approximately. There's a man named Muhammad. He claims to have an encounter with an angel. He claims that it's a divine angel from God. I would differ, beg to differ. I don't believe it was. The religion of Islam is born. And the encounter brings a new revelation about God, a new revelation of his character, and a new plan for mankind. And as the Arab nations are all descendants of Ishmael, 93% of them are Muslim, 
they now believe Ishmael was the chosen son through this revelation, not Isaac. They now believe that Ishmael was the one Abraham asked, was asked to sacrifice on the altar, not Isaac. They all believe and claim that Ishmael was the one who would be made into a great nation and that the land God promised was given to Ishmael and his descendants, not Isaac. This all happened over 2,600 years after God promised it to Abraham. I'm going to say something that people may not like to hear, depending on who's listening, but God creates and Satan counterfeits. When God creates something, he intends it to be truth. And Satan has no creativity. He looks at what God does and he perverts whatever God has made. He can't create anything. He is a creation. He was a fallen angel. He is not deity. And yet he takes the things around us and he perverts those things to make them look like they're good. That's why there's so many things that God has created that are beautiful in this world that have now had been perverted in some way because God has created and Satan has perverted. So the land that has been occupied by Israel is actually, according to these people, now belong to the Arabs. But the recipient of the land also has their lineage confirmed and therefore their God. Let me try to explain what I'm saying. Listen, if Isaac is the chosen one that God promised, Israel as a nation is validated. Their ownership of the land is confirmed and Yahweh is now the true God of the world. If that's true. But if what they say, if what Islam is saying, what the Muslims are saying as a result of this, the descendants of Ishmael, if they're saying, no, Ishmael was the chosen one. He was the chosen son. Then Palestine is validated. Their ownership of the land is confirmed and Allah is now the true God. You see how this works? This is not a physical issue. This is a spiritual problem. And this has been the core of the conflict for 4,000 years. Who has the land been given to? Who is the chosen descendant or the son? And who's the one true God? This is a spiritual battle. It is nothing new. But here's another reason why it's spiritual, in case you don't know this. I think this is really incredible when we see this in Scripture. The current conflict is not just with all Palestinians. In fact, I believe if you went and surveyed many Palestinians that live in the region, there would be many people that are Palestinians that wouldn't subscribe to some of the things that are happening in their land right now. Because the one thing we're not going to do is paint this broad brush stroke, broad brush stroke and say, these people are all good and these people are all bad. Let me be very clear about this. God loves all of Israel. And God loves all of Palestine. In fact, if you take a step back and you go, well, why are they even named different? Do you know that the only reason that the names are different is because around 135 AD, when Rome ruled the area, which is now Israel, they took the southern region of Judea, and they renamed it Palestine because they were trying to rid the area of everything identifiable as Jewish. They renamed it Palestine. Comes from the word Philistia, which means Philistines. So what Rome did was they changed the name of the southern kingdom to Palestine to try to, if you were, it was an insult to the nation of Israel. Remember in the Old Testament, there's a story of David and Goliath. What was David's background? He was Jewish. He was part of Israel. What was Goliath's background? Philistine. The Jew defeated the Philistine. Where was Goliath from? Gaza. 
the range in the Gaza Strip is where the Philistines all lived. Today, this is the area that still exists that Israel gave back to the people of Gaza. But today, it is not just ruled by the Palestinians. It's ruled by the terrorist Islamic group in Gaza called Hamas. Specifically, they are a terrorist group. As I said earlier, they are funded by by Iran. And Iran gives them over $100 million a year to continue to fund what they do. And Hamas's creed is not just to free the land of Palestine and get rid of all of the people that oppress them. It's to annihilate the nation of Israel. If you look at their constitution and you look back in 1988 when it was founded, you can see that their only solution to this is jihad. It's holy war and to destroy the people of Israel. It's not about coexisting. It's about destroying one people group so one may continue to live. Now, you might be listening to me saying, okay, well, well, what does that really mean? Here's why I think this is important. Because Hamas is just an Arabic word which means zeal. But do you know that the word Hamas is in the Bible? Hamas is in the Bible, in fact, over 60 times in the Old Testament, the word Hamas is used. And it's synonymous with violence, an act of aggression involving physical contact. If you will, it's a spirit of violence, a spirit of aggression that is designed to destroy an attack. One of the first places we see this in the Old Testament is in Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. It's a story of Noah and the ark. And look what it says. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. The earth was full of Hamas. That's the Greek, that's the, uh, the Hebrew word, was filled with Hamas. Again, you can look all through the Old Testament and you can see example after example where there's a spirit of violence and the spirit of violence is rooted in Hamas. That's why I'm saying this is not just a physical thing. There is a demonic spirit that is happening in this world around us to incite people to fight against the people of Israel. That's what's happening in that area of the world. Because the conflict between both sides is spiritual. It's not physical. Now, here's my point. Because the problem is spiritual, there will never be an earthly solution that brings true peace. Because this is a spiritual problem that's gone on for thousands and thousands of years, there are no politicians. There is no one who's ever going to be able to bring true peace between Israel and the Palestinian people on this earth, in the physical realm. It is absolutely impossible. It will never happen in its entirety where it is true and it will stay. That's important for you to know because I'm going to go back to answering that question. Are we getting closer to the return of Christ? And here's my second point I want to mention this morning. The frequency and intensity of conflicts are going to increase as we get closer to the return of Jesus. The frequency of intensity of all conflicts that you see, especially what's happening in that region of the world, will continue to get closer together as we get closer to the return of Jesus. In Matthew 24, 4 through 8, Jesus answers this question about when these things will happen. And he begins to say this. He says, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name, claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Verse 7, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginnings of birth pains. And he uses that example, birth pains. And I think the imagery is strong because if any of you have had a baby, you know that the very first time you feel that labor pain feels very different than the last time you feel that labor pain. It starts slow. It starts somewhat painful. But by the time that baby's ready to come, it's frequent. It's coming all the time and it's heightened. The pain is greater. And what he's saying here is just like 
the birth pains of a mother giving birth to a child, you will see these events continue to get stronger and stronger, happen more frequently and more intense. So I can tell you, just in the period of time I'm looking at over the last number of years, verse 6, when he talked about the wars and the rumors of wars, just looking over the last two years, the number of deaths in armed conflicts around our world has doubled from 2021 to 22. There's over 237,000 people that are dying due to organized violence in 2022. Verse 7, he says, nation will rise against nation. That word actually is not just nation, it's ethnos. And what he's saying there is ethnicities. So you can look at ethnicities in different nations, but can I also ask you, within our own country, has the last number of years shown an increase of ethnicities where there's more division than we've ever seen before? in our world, where we used to try to find ways to build bridges. And now it seems like your differences and your ethnicities are dividing people in ways that never even existed before. It's getting worse than it's ever been before. There's an increase in the U.S., an increase in the U.K., where people are being incited to divide over racial differences. And there's also an increase in the wars and the issues that we see with the nation of Israel. Look in the Old Testament, and you see how Pharaoh in the nation of Egypt The the nation of Egypt tried to destroy the nation of Israel by keeping them in captivity, then killing all the babies that were two years and under. And when they got out of Israel or got out of Egypt, they wandered in the wilderness and they finally move into their promised land. Then you fast forward a thousand years and Assyria destroys the northern part of Israel and takes them into captivity. And then Babylon comes shortly thereafter and takes the southern kingdom and takes them away and puts them in captivity. But you know what happens after all of those things? God restores them back to their place. How does that happen? Fast forward and you see the nation or the the Roman Empire take over the entire map of what we know of Eastern Europe and, and Western Europe. Rome took over almost all of that entire area for a very long time. And they were under the thumb of Rome. They came in and they destroyed a lot of what, what the Israelites called as their own. But even after all of that, the nation still survived. God still survived or still allowed the nation of Israel to survive. Fast forward to World War II. The German Nazis came in. And why, why, for some reason, did they pick the Jews? And yet there was a full-out attack to annihilate an entire people group because they believed they were subservient and they believed they were inhuman and they extinguished six million Jewish people. Horrible. If you've ever been to the Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C., you know what I'm talking about. If you've never been, I would encourage you to go. It's gut-wrenching to see the inhumanity, the demonic oppression, and the evil that happened at the hands of the Nazi regime towards the Jewish people. Let's, let's extinguish an entire people group. And yet after six million people lost their lives after World War II, 1944, four years later, four years later, May 14th, 1948, Israel declares itself a sovereign nation. How does this happen, church? How does this happen? Because the hand of God is on the people of Israel. This is important for you to understand. The hand of God is on the people of Israel. When this happened on May 14th, 1948, the very next day they led and attacked all all the, the enemies around Israel on the 15th. Five nations came after them and attacked them after they declared their independence as a nation. And they lost against Israel. Fast forward in 1967. 
the six-day war that took place where Israel was attacked by Egypt, Syria, Jordan, and a few of their other border enemies. And the six-day war is called the six-day war because this tiny little country, smaller than the size of New Jersey, defeated all of their enemies in six days. How does that happen? Unless the hand of God is not on them. Unless the hand of God is on them. The Soviet Union has tried to eliminate Israel. Iran has continued to threaten Israel. Right now, it's terrorists that are continuing to come after Israel. And if you look at the history of Hamas, there was a war against Hamas in 2008, the Hamas war, the Gaza war. In 2014, there was a Gaza war. In 2021, there was a Gaza war. And now in 2023, there is a Gaza war. All of these things still come together. And if I can just tell you the reality of it is we are seeing a frequency that is continuing to increase where we're seeing more and more and more hostility towards the nation of Israel and war continues to escalate. And why this is so important is because end times understanding, eschatology, looking at the end times according to the Bible, does not focus around the United States, does not focus on America, doesn't focus on Africa or Australia or Europe. All end times prophecy that we should be looking at is centered around Israel, specifically Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city to watch. Jerusalem is the city where all things go down. Jerusalem is the city where Jesus died, raised from the dead, ascended from the Mount of Olives, and Jerusalem is the place he returns as he comes back on the Mount of Olives. All eyes are pointing to the nation of Israel, church, and we need to be reminded of that. So the frequency and the intensity will continue. The third thing I want you to hear this morning is that Israel will never be destroyed. Israel will never be destroyed. It doesn't matter what comes at them. Israel will never be destroyed. How do I know it? The prophecy in Jeremiah says this. Look at Jeremiah 31, 35 through 36. Thus said the Lord, who gives the sun for the, for the light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for the light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. And look at verse 36. If this fixed order departs from me, before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. The fixed order of things around us, the sun, the stars, the moon, everything that God has created, he's saying, as this fixed order stays in play, so will the people of Israel be a nation. That's what God is saying. It cannot be thwarted. So as we're watching these things, we're going to see, and you watch, we'll see it again. We'll see Israel come out on the strong end of this. We'll see Israel defeat their enemies if this isn't the final war. Because there is a final war that's going to happen. And can I tell you, that is the only time in prophetic history that you see, as you look ahead, where there is a war where all the nations around Israel, the Bible says, come after Israel. Israel stands alone, alone with no allies. And it talks about the enemy from the north that comes in. Most people believe that to be Russia and Turkey. They talk about Persia in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And they're talking about um, Iran. We talk about the, the, uh, the enemies from the south that will come in. And that could be areas of Somalia, or I'm sorry, Sudan and Libya. All of these, these um, enemies come in and they begin to attack Israel. And the war could be so great in there that actually, in this case, the final war, what the scriptures call the Battle of Armageddon, Israel cannot win. And Israel would be defeated if it weren't for the return of Jesus. Because in that final war, Though the nations roar the loudest they can to destroy the nation of Israel, and they would lose that war, Jesus returns and he defeats the enemies of his people. I'm sharing this story with you because this is what the Bible teaches us. 
And I'm sharing this with you because we have to ask ourselves this question. How should we respond to all of this? That's a lot of information. And I hope it came across clear enough for you to understand what I'm trying to share. But we need to understand how we need to respond to all of this. And here's what I want you to hear. We, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we need to know the signs of the times. This is how we respond. Know the signs of the times, but live out the mission of the church. We get that out there? Can we put that slide up there? Know the signs of the times, but live out the mission of the church. You know what I love about what the scripture says about this is that we are able through the discernment of the spirit to know the signs of the times that we're living in. You and I have the spirit living in us if we're followers of Christ. And Jesus is saying through, we are supposed to know what's going on around us. We're supposed to be able to discern what's happening around us. The media is not going to tell us what's exactly happening. The politicians aren't going to tell us exactly what's happening. It's the spirit of God through the word of God that reveals to us how we are supposed to respond. And we see the signs of the times happening around us. And we should be aware of those things that are happening. But this is why this is so important. Because the signs of the times are clues of what God is doing in the spirit realm. Though we see it in in the physical realm, right? But we're supposed to be living out the mission of the church in the middle of it, which means we are not supposed to allow these things around us to negatively influence our ability to be the church. We're supposed to be the church more now than we ever were. And that's so important for you and I to remember. In Acts chapter 1, verse 11, the angel said this to the men who watched Jesus ascend. He said, men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who had been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. He made a declaration that we can believe 2000 years later where he's saying, Jesus isn't gone forever. See, the first time he came, he came as a humble servant. But the next time he comes, he's coming in glory to rule the world. And we need to be remembering that when the sign of the times are pointing to this direction, we have to have this resolved in our heart to say the same Jesus that left our Lord and Savior is coming back. Look what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 through 18. He says, for the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. You see, sometimes people talk about the front end of this. Jesus is going to come back and the dead are going to rise and I'm going to meet him in the air and the world's a mess and things are getting worse and I'm really scared about all this kind of stuff. What does Paul say in verse 18 about this church? encourage one another with these words. The return of Christ, the end times as we know it, should not be something we camp on that brings fear into our lives. And can I tell you, I've heard Christians do this for so many years when we look at our country and we look at the world that we live in. Listen, I'll be the first to admit, it's discouraging to see the depravity and the evil and the things that are happening around the world around us. You follow me? It is discouraging. And it can be discouraging to go, Lord, this is such evil. There's so much. It feels like it's almost unbearable sometimes. But the scriptures say all of these things need to happen as it was in the days of Noah. So it will be at the coming of the return of the son of man. We are headed in the right direction. 
And instead of being fearful, instead of wondering, what is this world coming to? You know, I want to go hide in a cave. I want to go live in, you know, Appalachia, Kentucky and not talk to anybody. You know, I want to dig bunkers in the ground and hide under a rock. Christians do this. And can I tell you, how is that? How is that in agreement with what it means for us to be people that fulfill the mission of the church? We are supposed to be the light of Christ. We are supposed to be the hope of the world. We are supposed to, in the midst of all this, because you know what's beautiful about this too? There's a whole nation of people that don't believe Jesus is their Messiah. The scripture says when Jesus comes back, there will be a turning. There will be a revival. There will be multitudes that come to see Jesus as their king, as their Messiah. And we should be professing that today. We should be living that today. We should be speaking the goodness of God today so we don't walk in all of this fear. Oh, what's going to happen to my 401k? What's going to happen with my house? The valuations are going to go crazy. Who's going to be in the presidency? It doesn't matter. We can speak truth and we can speak love and we can do all those things that we can in our own ability. That's okay for us to be concerned about these things, but they should not negatively influence our ability to be the church in 2023. Do you understand? This is so important for us to understand because if we buy into this nonsense, the enemy is an enemy of fear, of violence, He is an enemy of opposition and oppression. He doesn't want the church to speak truth. He doesn't want the church to live in the power of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to cower away and dig ourselves in a hole and just pray for the return of Christ. And yet Jesus says, step up to the plate because the one who lives in you is greater than the one who lives in the world. Know that the return of Christ is going to transform all of these things that we know the battles are still waging, but the war has already been won. Know that Jesus Christ is going to bring hope and is going to bring truth to all of these things. Paul continues in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 2, and he says, Now concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. Well, when is he going to come back? What's the right thing on the calendar? What does Paul say 2,000 years ago? It's irrelevant. You don't don't even know. You know the signs and the times. You know what he said. You don't need it written down. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. The last I checked, thieves don't announce when they're going to rob you. (laughs) They don't. They show up at a time that you least expect. And Paul's saying the return of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Verse four, but you are not in darkness, brothers, for the day that for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. See what he's saying there? He's saying you are not part of the the darkness. Though we may not know the moment of his return, we will know the sign of the time to say we are living in those days. And as we know that, it should affect the way we live and we could walk as people in light, not walking in darkness. Verse eight, but since we belong to the day and let us, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Judgment, my friends, is not reserved for the church. It's not reserved for those that are followers of Christ. It's reserved for those who have rejected him. And in the midst of all these things that are happening, the truth of the matter is 
this world that we know will not remain the way that it is forever. Jesus is going to come back. Jesus is going to right the wrongs. He is going to destroy evil. He will reign in this world and a new heaven and a new earth is going to be created. A new heaven and the dead in Christ, those who have fallen asleep will raise to to the dead. We will be given glorified bodies and we will walk in relationship with Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's why when we look at things in the carnal and we look at things in the physical, if it causes us fear to step back and not be the church, we need to reevaluate the truth. And we need to ask ourselves what we're believing and recognize it's in these darkest moments that the world sees darkness, that the church can be the lightest. We are walking in darkness. And you know what? The brightest time you ever see a light is in the middle of the deepest, darkest place. The tiniest light is incredibly loud, incredibly huge in the darkest space. And as things continue to get dark, God is raising up his church to be light in this broken world. Every one of us has an opportunity to do that. What does it mean? It means as you look at the turning of events and the times of the events today that's happening in our last days, don't practice anxiety. Practice adoration. Don't walk in anxiety. Walk in an adoration between you and God. I adore you, Lord. I praise you, Lord. I thank you. People are anxious about it. I'm going to adore him. Don't be worrisome. Worship. Don't be worrisome about all the things that are happening. Stop and return an attitude of worship. Don't run in fear. Rise up in faith. Recognize that God is not calling us to walk in a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and sound mind. Don't run in fear. Rise up in faith. Don't practice cowardice. Be courageous Christians filled with the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. Are you listening this morning? Don't be cowards. Don't walk in fear. Walk in courageousness. And finally... Don't live your life like a mess. Live with the mission of Christ. Don't say, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? This world is coming to an end. Well, you know what? It is coming to an end. In the middle of it, let's be people that are focused on our mission. Let's be people that love Jesus with all that we have. Let's be people that love each other with all that we have. Because here's what we need to know. People all around us are going to watch this happen. And if they do not know what's really going on in the world around us, their hearts will be filled with fear anxiety and struggle. And it's in those moments that they don't need a Christian to come alongside them and say, I don't know what to do either. This world's falling apart. We can say, we know where this is headed. And we know that there is a King of Kings and there is a Lord of Lords and he is the rock of my salvation and his name is Jesus Christ. And on the rock of Jesus Christ, we can stand confidently because there's coming a time that every knee will bow in heaven. Paul says in Philippians on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. You hear me? So I'm going to ask our worship team, if you all could come up because I was thinking, how do we respond to something like this today? And I just want to encourage you this morning to respond this morning with an attitude of hope. What do you place your hope in this morning? Church? What are you personally placing your hope in this morning? Is it in the economy? Is it in your plan for your life? Is it in your family or your friends? Or maybe it's your education. Maybe it's the governments around us are going to fix these things. (laughs) I couldn't have said it better myself. There's an old hymn that I used to sing. And it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And then it says, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is what? 
sinking sand. This morning, I ask you and I plead with you, where is your hope? Is it found in the things around you or is it found in Jesus Christ and him alone? Because he is the hope that never fails. He is the rock that never wavers. He is the foundation that we can stand on with a confidence because all glory and honor belongs to him and he will get the glory and he will get the honor. So if you would stand with us this morning, the team's gonna lead us in this song. I would encourage you to sing along with us. Raise your hands in worship. Make a declaration that there is hope in this world and it's not found in the things that are physical. It's found in the spiritual truth of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, Messiah and friend.